Hey moms, we're so glad you're here. Today is your day. And we wanted you to know that we love you. You could have decided to stay home and relax, but you're here with us and it means so much. Being a mom isn't easy. It can be fun and rewarding, but it can also be very challenging and stressful. And sometimes it's hard to know if you're getting it right. But you should know that being here today, it's an important part. In Proverbs, the Bible says, train up children in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. So you being here today, in the house of God, surrounded by friends, family, and even those visiting, is such an amazing example. You are seeking more of Jesus and worshiping unashamed. The young men and women here are watching, and as they grow, they'll remember and do the same. So thank you, moms. Thank you so much for being here. We pray that God will bless you by renewing your spirit and drawing you closer to him so you can continue to be a godly example to all those around you. Happy Mother's Day. Mother's Day. Uh, myself, like Pastor Michael, have had uh, the opportunity to have more than just my mom, my mother-in-law pouring to me as my moms, but also uh, spiritual mothers in my life, and I am so thankful for them. Um, what a blessing. And now to see my wife as a mother, to see that example. I, I read a, a card in the Mother's Day card section that said, Something along the lines of, this house is a mess, this house is chaotic, this house has toys, this house has food, this house has dishes all over. This house shows that there's a loving, kind mom that lives here. And it's true when you see all of that. You know the kindness of a mom that goes and puts up with all of our shenanigans and all of our messes. I think of my youth pastor's wife, who was also a spiritual mom to me. She put up with our messes, too, as she had us into her home regularly. But today, we're going to have the opportunity, like Pastor Michael said, to look at the life of Sarah, a faithful mother, a faithful woman. And you know, I've done character studies on individuals in the Bible before, and I've had the opportunity to teach on a series on the life of David. And, uh, and I started that with a snapshot view of his life from 80,000 feet. And then I followed it up with a verse from the New Testament that spoke of David's life. And if you want to look that up later, you can. It's Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Well, we don't have 30 weeks to look at Sarah. But I do want us to get a quick snapshot from 80,000 feet of her life as you see it recorded in the Bible. And like Pastor Michael prayed, it's God's word that changes hearts. And so, you know what? We're going to go ahead and glance at or reference all of Sarah's life as recorded in Genesis. And you're like, wait a second. It's Mother's Day. We've got to get out of here for lunch. There's actually not a lot, per se. But we're going to look through it. And I'm just going to work through. So if you've got your Bible, get ready to start flipping. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 11. And we're going to see in Genesis chapter 11 the first mention of Sarah. Now, you're going to see her name as Sarai, and you're going to see Abraham's name as Abram. I'm just going to say Sarah and Abraham, Abraham, 
because that's just what we've gotten used to saying. And so their names are changed later, but for, for ease today, I'm just going to say Sarah and Abraham. So our first mention, a snapshot of Sarah's life. Here we go. First mention is in Genesis chapter 11, verse 29. And we see that Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai, Sarah was barren. She had no child. The first thing mentioned is that she is Abraham's wife. And then the second thing mentioned is that she has no children. Now, we see that there's a large family and caravan heading out. And they're setting out on their way. And they're going to stop in Haran, where the patriarch of the, fa- of the family, Terah, Abraham's father, died. In the next chapter, we see Sarah's husband, Abraham, continues the journey for their family, as recorded in verses 1 through 9. And he is promised to be the father of a great nation. <coughs> He's promised to be the father of a great nation. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Now, it can be assumed, and it also says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Sarah is also a part of this promise, because it's also through her. Then, things start, things start going downhill, it seems like, in Sarah's life. Because in chapter 12, there is a famine. In verse 10, we find that they're heading to Egypt because of this famine. <coughs> now, first thing mentioned about her, she's Abraham's husband. The second thing mentioned about her is that she doesn't have any children. But the next thing that's mentioned about her is how great her beauty is. How great her beauty is. And so Abraham says, oh no, the Pharaoh will kill me to have her. Now remember, if we're doing our math, she's 65 years old or thereabouts and this is the thing that's noticed about her is her great beauty and so abraham says hey we're going to lie to the pharaoh help me out in this and you're going to say you're my sister and so she does and pharaoh takes her into his harem and he blesses abraham with all sorts of riches and wealth for it but then the pharaoh learns the truth that she's actually his wife And so he sends him out because his house has been being plagued and he just wants it to be gone and getting rid of. And he exiles them and tells them to get out as quick as they can. The next story we see is in chapter 16. Turn to chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And she said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abraham had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. So after this happens, she conceives, she has a child growing inside of her, the servant does, and she, she gets unhappy. Sarah becomes unhappy at this. It was her plan, but now she's unhappy about it. And she asks Abraham, you know, about it, and she tells him about it, and airs her frustrations, and Abraham allows her to do with the servant as she wishes, and so she is 
so harsh to her that the servant runs away. We read in the story that Hagar is found by the angel of the Lord and told to return and submit. The next story we learn of Sarai, or of Sarah, is in chapter 17. In chapter 17. Now you go, why do I keep going through this whole story? Well, it's the word of God that we need to know, that we need to study. And I think it just gives us a good glimpse of what's going on in her life. But I'll tell you what. I'm glad my life's not recorded in the pages of Scripture. I'm glad that you don't have a day-by-day account of the actions I took. In chapter 17, verse 15, we see the announcement of the birth of her son. Her name changes here. God tells Abraham that she will have a son, and he laughs. She is 90 years old, after all. In a year, she will have Isaac. God even gives him the name. And then moving on to chapter 18, the Lord appears. There's three visitors. And we see that Abraham asks her to prepare food. He prepares food. They give it to the, they give it to the strangers, to the visitors, to the Lord. She and her husband prepare food. Sarah, Sarah is asked about and is told that she is in the tent, so she's out of sight. And the Lord says that she will have a son. She will bear a son. Now she's 90 years old. And this time, she laughs. And it says that she laughs to herself. And the Lord responds in asking her, why did you laugh? To which she replies, I didn't laugh. In chapter 20, they're moving again, the life of a nomad. She's again, is passed off only as Abraham's sister before King Abimelech. King King Abimelech takes her in, planning to marry her. But the Lord gives him a dream in which he reveals the truth about who she is and that she is really Abraham's wife. And so in verse 11 of chapter 20, Abimelech questions Abraham. He says, Abraham, uh, sorry, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see, what did you see that you did this thing? That's in verse 10. And then in verse 11, we see the response. Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, here we get in verse 12, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And so we see it was a half lie, but is there such a thing? Then in chapter 21, the birth of Isaac, she is pregnant. She has conceived, and Isaac is born. You know, as the chapter goes on, Sarah gets rid of Hagar and Ishmael, the son who Abraham had with Hagar, the servant, and sends them away. They're gone. They're put out of the camp because of what she has seen. And then in chapter 23, her death is recorded. So to sum up, in a couple words, Sarah's life, she's barren, she has no children. She lies about who she is and that she is Abraham's wife. She tries to enforce her own plan upon the will of God through Hagar. She's mean to her after seeing that she has conceived. She thinks about her age. She laughs at God and lies about laughing. In chapter 20, she again lies about who she is. She is mean to Hagar and Ishmael and sending them away and seeing them off. 
And so here we've looked at a snapshot of her life as recorded in the Bible. And when I looked at a snapshot of David's life, I saw the same thing when I studied it. He had adultery. The woman who he had adultery with, he had her husband murdered. His sons did some terrible things, killed each other, and fought, sought to kill each other. He had a son try to overthrow him. So I want us to look, I want us to look at her New Testament legacy, though. So the beginning statement was that Sarah was faithful and that she was a faithful mother. But let's take a moment to examine her New Testament legacy. But first, let's read Isaiah 51, 2. It says, Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. She is the mother of Israel. Abraham the father and Sarah the mother. The Israelite people are reminded of this by the prophet Isaiah, as we've just seen a couple weeks ago as we looked through Isaiah 51. But we see a different description in the New Testament than what we would expect. And so turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're just going to look at one verse, verse 11 of Hebrews 11. And it says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Those first two words, by faith. By faith. And so as we look at Sarah's New Testament legacy, the first words used to describe her are by faith. This kind of seems like a contradiction with her laughter recorded in chapter 18 of Genesis, doesn't it? She laughed at the thought of her having a child at the age of 90. But it says, by faith, she conceived him. What faith did she have? What was the faith that she had? It's the second half of this verse. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Her faith was that God would be faithful. Her faith was that God would be faithful. Pastor Michael read 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and following. And in verse 4 it said, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. In verse 6 it says that Sarah was the example of this. So she had faith. She had imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. This is her New Testament legacy. And so then the question asks, in what ways was she faithful? So I want us to look at a pattern of Sarah's life and see what we can learn from her example of faithfulness. First, she was faithful to her Lord. The Lord had a plan for her life to move a lot. And a lot. And a lot. And what we don't see recorded is her grumbling or complaining about moving. What we don't see is her staying behind. What we see is her following on the course the Lord had from her. Now it says that they were from Ur, Chaldeans, a beautiful city, a great city, all the modern luxuries and amenities. And from then on, they set out. Sure, they end up in Haran for a little while, another city. But before long, they're on the move again. They just get to their place where they're supposed to be, and they're off to Egypt. 
They're not in Egypt very long, and they're back up in Canaan. Not long there, and moving over here, and moving over there, and then there's the disagreement with Abraham and Lot, and they part ways, and they go again. The Lord had a plan for her life, and she listened to it. When God told them to move, she moved with. She obeyed. The life of a nomad, I can imagine, is hard. But yet she did it. She was faithful to her Lord. The Lord had a plan for her life. Are we faithful to the plan of God? You know, when I was in Bible college, there was a semester later on, uh, junior, senior year, where I, I actually applied myself to my studies. I know, shocking. And I realized I needed to do well on my studies to maintain some scholarships. And I thought, I'm going to apply myself hard to get these scholarships. And I worked diligently that semester, and I learned a lot that semester, and I would say it was one of my best semesters I had. I was also dating Becky that semester, so that could be a part of it. She rubbed off on me rather quick. I missed out on the scholarship by .01% in one class. And I thought I had failed. I couldn't do it. I'm going to miss out on a scholarship. I'm going to not have the money to pay for my schooling. But that was my plan. God had a plan all along. He had generous believers through my church at Calvary, through my church at home, who, who paid for my school financially, who supplied. I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I was doing it to try and make my own plan. If I had been faithful all along to do the things that God wanted, he was going to provide. I didn't need to get angry about missing out on that scholarship. He had a plan. Are we faithful to the plan of God? Do you seek God and his plan? Do you pray? Do you read the Bible? Do you meditate on it? Do you fast as we were challenged to do last Sunday? Abraham, uh, Sarah was faithful to the Lord. She was also faithful to her family, specifically in submitting to her husband. We see this again in 1 Peter chapter 3, but we also see it all along the way. Her example of being faithful to her family, she went along with the lie that Abraham was her brother. Now, while this was wrong, because it was a lie, I think it shows a habit of how she followed the leading of her husband. She also did it, I believe, to protect her family. She believed, as Abraham did, that he would be killed. And so she did it to protect her family. You know, even Hagar and having Abraham have a child with her was out of a desire to protect her family because she was trying to make the promise of God happen. But she was went about it in the wrong way. But I think what we see is a desire to be faithful to her family. And then we see how she submitted to her husband and it's recorded in the New Testament. Are we faithful to our families? And let me ask you this. Is it misguided? Is it misguided? Is the best thing for our kids to make sure they get the best academic grades, to make sure they have the best coaches so they can get the scholarships to college? Are we faithful to our families? Is it misguided or is it biblical? Is it raising up a child in the way they should go? Is it teaching them the things of God? But we also see that she was faithful in believing in the faithfulness of the Lord. The moving, the protecting her family happened multiple times surrounding her doubting times. 
Her faithfulness was not ultimately of her own abilities, but because of God. Do you believe in the faithfulness of God? Do you believe in the faithfulness of the Lord? And how is that evidenced in your life? Is it evidenced through your words? Is it evidenced through your actions? Or is it something that you just think of on Sunday morning? Do you actually believe in the faithfulness of the Lord as Sarah did? So we've seen the overview, the New Testament legacy, and the examples of faithfulness from Sarah's life. And I'm drawn to one major thing as I study her life. Just as I have been when I've done character studies on David or Abraham or Joshua, they all come up short. They all come up so short of what we would think. And again, you say to yourself, I'm glad my life isn't in the pages of Scripture, but theirs is, and it keeps coming up short. They're the examples we're supposed to be following. But as David's life is recorded as a man after God's own heart, as Sarah is recorded as by faith she conceived and that she believed in the faithfulness of God, that's her legacy. They all point to one thing. They all point to one thing. That we all fall short. We all fall short. You know, I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 2. So if you turn there, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 and then look at it briefly. As I study all these characters, I see that them living under the law showed how flawed they were. And that it all points to one thing, their need for a Savior. As we move into Ephesians chapter 2 from the first chapter, we see here Paul is speaking about what God has done directly for us as believers, as individuals. And he says this in verse 1 and following, I'll read through. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, circle that, highlight it, underline it, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We see in the first couple of verses that apart from God, we are spiritually dead. Our plan is going to fail. Just like Sarah, when she deviated off God's will, her plan failed, caused frustration, disappointment, heartache. We see that we are dead. But we also in verse 2 see that, and when she once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. You know, this is why we need the armor of God that Paul writes about towards the end of the book that Pastor Michael had us read last week. Because we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. We were following that prince of the power of the air. We were disobedient to the commands of God. But we get to verse 4 and it says, But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, 
God's character, one of mercy, kindness, grace, love. Because of all that, he performs the greatest act of love. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It says in verse 7 that we are grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by let me in verse 6, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are co-heirs with Christ because of the act of love that God, God did. And then we get to salvation. Salvation in verses 8 and 9. And what is salvation? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? The gift of God is that he sent his perfect son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. He lived a perfect life, and yet he was crucified. He was beaten, he was killed, he was buried. For our sins, for the sins of the world, for my sins. Just as Isaiah keeps pointing forward to that servant. We get to hear where Paul's writing Ephesians. He has sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And he rose again three days later, conquering death. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. It's by grace. It's not of our own doing. And why is that? So that we can't claim it ourselves. We can't say, my plan worked. Sarah can't say, my plan worked. Ishmael is the father of the nation that God was prophesying about. God was promising that all nations would be blessed from. My plan worked. No, it's not our plan. It's only for his glory that he saved us. It's so that no one can boast that free gift. You know, in this passage, it does not tell us as readers to do anything. It doesn't tell us to do anything. It only states what God has done through the work of His Son, Christ. And as I look at the life of Sarah, as I look at her faithfulness, as I read her biography as recorded in Scripture, see that her faithfulness is because of God. And she allowed him to work in her life. And she had the faith that he was a faithful God. So as we wrap up here, I have some questions that we ask ourselves. First, have you ever read the story of Sarah? Sit down and read it right through, from Genesis 11 right through to Genesis 23. Think it through from her perspective. What was going on in her mind? But here's some questions to ask yourself. Have you placed your faith in the faithfulness of the one who created all things? As we read Ephesians 2, as we look at Romans 3.23, for we've all sinned and we deserve death because of that sin, but we have a way to salvation. And Paul records that here in Ephesians 2. Sarah had placed her faith in the one who was faithful. Have you placed your faith in the faithfulness of the one who created all things? Next, does God's gift of salvation humble you? As I look at the life of these Old Testament characters who in the New Testament we see are people after God's own heart who have faith. As we read through Hebrews 11 and it just continually goes on, by faith this person, by faith that person, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah conceived since she considered him faithful with promises. 
salvation that they had is the same salvation God offers me. Does God's gift of salvation humble you? We know our own heart, even if it's not written out in Scripture. And we know we didn't earn it. We know our own heart, and we know that we don't deserve to keep it on our own merit. We know we continually fail. But what will our legacy be? Will it be one who placed our faith in a faithful God? Or one who tried to do it on our own, in our own way? Last, how are you relying on the Lord to live a faithful life? Are you seeking God and His plan? How are you reading through Scripture? How are you praying and meditating on it? The video that we watched talked about the example that mothers and women have just by being here on a Sunday morning. Is being here a priority? Is it a priority to be in fellowship with other believers, to be building each other up, to be growing from each other, to be hearing God's word read and shared, to be singing together? How are you relying on the Lord to live a faithful life? You do that by seeking his plan for your life, by praying, by reading, by meditating, by fasting. So the life of Sarah, it's recorded as one of faith, and yet we see it's got its faults. We know our own heart, we know our life is flawed, and yet we have salvation through Christ. Just close in prayer with me. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for examples that we see in scripture. As we think through the life of Sarah, Lord, we thank you for your recording of her faults as a way to teach us that that we all fail. Thank you for recording in scripture that she had faith, that you are faithful, and that you recognize her for her faith. You recognize her as a godly woman, as a godly wife. Lord, I pray that we would recognize that it is not of our own doing, but of yours, that we can live faithful lives. Lord, I pray that we would seek to rely on you to honor and glorify you with our lives. Lord, I pray for the mothers here. I pray for the fathers here. I pray for all those that are here, that they would be examples to those that are around them, to those that are watching, watching them this morning, watching them through the week, that they would lead lives that exemplify someone who has faith in a faithful God. Lord, I pray that you would grow our understanding of who you are and what you have done for us. And that we would stop relying on our own merits and our own actions and turn to you. I pray that you would bless the time as we spend this afternoon with our mothers and our families. That you would make it an encouragement. Lord, I pray that it would be a sweet time gathered together with different family members as we just celebrate your faithfulness. Jesus, now I pray.